When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Our next guest is LaShawn. She's an HR pro who's worked with many organizations who say that they want change. Through her business, The HR Plug, she goes into companies and assesses all of the changes that need to be made. And you already know there's some places who are truly down for an overhaul and some who are, well, resistant. Let's talk to her. Okay, so let's start off with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. So I'm LaShawn Davis. I am the founder and CEO of an organization called The HR Plug. I'm very passionate about helping people find the greatness within them so that they're not stuck working miserably for somebody else. So in The HR Plug, that's what we do. We, we center ourselves around helping you recognize the power of who you are so that you don't have to be enslaved to an organization who doesn't recognize or value who you are. And where are you from? So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. You know, I'm actually, you know, a Florida girl all the way. And about a few years ago, I moved from Florida to Georgia. So now I'm like in the South Atlanta area, but I'm still a Floridian at heart. I think you are one of three Florida girls on this season. (laughs) Get all the Florida girls this season. I'm like, shoot, let me go down there. Listen, you recognize some talent because that's what we we are. Definitely. And I don't know, you can't like group a personality by states or cities. I know that's not technical, but I feel like every Florida girl I ever met is like open, honest, like the real deal. So it's in the sun, you know, the sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So talk to us about your kind of career trajectory before you were responsible and, you know, shaping these workplaces for the better. What were some of your own experiences as a Black woman working for other people? You know, I started in corporate America immediately out of college, right? And they, you know, came to the university and recruited us which I think now looking back is just a tactic that they do. They go to these HBCUs and they recruit 
people who come from impoverished areas who know no better. So that's how I got into corporate America. And it was later on when I realized I was lowballed. I didn't negotiate my offer. Everybody around me was making more than me and promoting, yet I'm stuck here thinking somebody's going to come tell me, hey, it's time for you to promote. You've been doing great. Only to find out it doesn't work like that. And I didn't have anybody to teach me those things. And so I left that job, was in retail, and I was working strenuous hours and went to work for nonprofits and so that I can go back to school and get a master's degree. And so I got a master's degree and then I went back and worked for higher education. And that's when I got introduced into like the employee relations space, which is, you know, advocating for the employees at work when they have an issue, they report it to HR, someone investigates it. I did that work for about 10 years. And then I slowly transitioned into the labor relations space, which is dealing with broken workplace cultures, leading people to believe they need a union or leading people to believe that they need to stay in a solidarity or whatever disconnection or disengagement they have with their employer. I was a person that went in to try to figure out what was wrong and then provide recommendations on how to fix it. So it got to a point where I just got fed up with seeing all the things that were wrong and employers taking no accountability, responsibility, or obligation to want to fix it. And then that's when I just kind of launched my own HR consulting firm where I help employees understand how to advocate for themselves when they're faced with unjust situations at work. But I also work with employers who do care, who do want to get it right. And so they'll contract me to work with them to fix their workplace cultures. And so that's kind of what led me to where I am today. But overall, Joy, it was just the injustices of being a Black woman, also coming from a background with a lack of awareness on how to truly compete in these corporate America streets. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what led me to where I am today. Wow. I think it is such a dope job to be able to go into a workplace and be like, uh-uh, no, yeah. none of this, see all this. Trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trash, trash. But the problem is they don't want to listen. They hire you because they put on a facade mm. that they do care and they want to do the right thing. But then when it requires like firing that toxic leader who, yeah, makes you a lot of money, but treats people like crap. And then they got to make a choice and then they don't want to make the right choice. It's like, why am I here? Right. It's performative. And I hear that from a lot of like DEI leaders too. It's like, you brought me in to do these workshops, but you guys aren't actually ready to change. Right. Tell me like some of the things you've seen, whether it was like in your jobs before or through the HR plug, like what What are the biggest problems you see off jump in the workplace? You know, I would say the biggest problem, my biggest pet peeve, honestly, is HR, you know, the HR department as a whole, whether it's from the lack of respect or value business leaders have for HR, or it's the the fact that HR professionals have lost sight of what their roles and responsibilities are in the workplace. They become more concerned with being liked or being promoted themselves that they forget that they're supposed to be advocating to do what's right in the workplace. And they're not doing that. And it's creating just a cycle of HR not being valued and respected, to HR being burnt out and tired, to employees feeling like they have no one to be their voice, to leaders feeling like they can do whatever they want. And I think all of it centers around that HR department. And so that's probably what I've seen the most, an HR department that is just naive or ignorant to what they're supposed to be doing to protect the culture of of the workplace. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's misconception. And from what you're saying, it seems like maybe on both sides, like you'll have one camp of people who usually have had horrible experiences with the HR saying Mm -hmm. HR is there to protect the company. And then you have HR folks saying HR is there to protect the employees, but Mm -hmm. you're saying it's to do what's right. So it's like down the middle, whatever the right thing is, 
Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to kind of, is it like a mediator, would you say? Like, what is the true role? The true role is they are the culture gatekeeper. And so sometimes that might mean correcting an employee when they're wrong. Like, you know, you were out of line. You you understood what this was and being stern in, in their approach to that. And other times it's correcting a leader when they're wrong, right? And it's just really doing what is morally right. And a lot of leaders feel like, well, I went to legal and they said I can do it, right? And my argument is always just because it's legal to do doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And so, you know, HR is supposed to be this voice of morality. They're supposed to be this voice of correction to whomever is, you know, the culprit. And we're not doing that. It's turned into we're more like PR people where we spend whatever the organization is trying to do to make it fit the narrative or make it look like it's the best thing that's supposed to be done, demonstrating no courage to actually tell them no. And that's the biggest frustration that I think is what is the crack in the foundation of workplaces being able to function properly by valuing the people. Mm -hmm. It seems like a problem could be, and I come from a nonprofit space, so I, I only can speak for that, but it seems like sometimes the people being hired to be HR aren't really HR professionals. Girl, you ain't say nothing but a word. Like, it's like, hey, you off the street, you know how to balance a checkbook, get over here. Right? (laughs) Or it's like, I hate when people say, I want to be an HR because I'm a people person. What? Like, it it just makes no sense. Or the people who've been at the organization for years, and maybe they were on the front lines and like a cashier, then they moved up to a store manager or something like that. Now, magically, we're going to just throw them in HR. Mm -hmm. So there's just no respect for the role. And nothing wrong with someone who wants to change their trajectory into HR. But the problem is companies are not properly training them, preparing them to know how to HR. And they, in turn, are like, oh, the company gave me a chance and I'm going to be loyal to them. And that abandons their responsibilities, you Mm -hmm. know, because they're not picking right people to begin with. And not to mention the educational system, higher education doesn't even school HR correctly either. It's an all around problem. Mm -hmm. So just because somebody has an HR degree doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't. And I'm speaking as a person who has a master's degree in HR and I have a a, a senior um, certification from SHRM. I have both of those and none of those equate to your ability to be effective in the role. Mm, Okay. So what would you say, like, you know, if people are starting at a new company, if they're interacting with their HR people, what's a trait that they should be noticing about a good HR professional? A good HR professional is going to be honest. They're going to listen to you and they're going to provide you with solutions. They're not going to tell you to go figure it out on your own. They're not going to tell you to just go. They're going to actually help you understand how to navigate through your issue and role play with you or give you the talking points or give you the guidance to you know resolve your situation. And then they're going to follow through and follow up with you. They're not just going to throw you out there, but they're also going to follow up. How did that go? You know what I mean? They're going to make you feel like a valued person. A good mm-hmm. HR is also going to help leaders and supervisors understand how to do that the right way, how to do that effectively. So you should see your HR engaging in trainings or engaging in conversation that supports doing what's morally right for the organization. Those are all things that, you know, that you should be looking to. So if you go to your HR person and they're like, well, you really should talk to your leader about that. Or, well, you know what the policy says, or you Mm -hmm. signed the hand, like, you know, they're just dismissive of you. Mm -hmm. Then that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Well, Talk to us about with the HR plug, you have a new client, you go into a new scenario. What's the first thing you do to assess where 
that company is? A lot of times when I do the assessing, I look at it physically in person, but then I also have conversations with them over the phone. And by asking certain questions, I can already understand how they are as a leader, how they run their operation before I even set foot in that building. So an example would be, we're doing our intake call or we already have established I'm going to support you. I might ask you, you know, when was the last time that you had to go back and correct the mistake you made? Right. Or when was the last time you gave bad advice to, you know, an employee or how much overtime are your employees working on average a week? Right. Mm -hmm. So those answers, if they're telling me, well, yeah, overtime is pretty high right now or, you know, those types of things or I don't make mistakes or, you know, whatever, then that helps me understand. Are they an accountable leader? Are they in tune to workloads and work-life balance? You know, are they caring about, you know, their employees and things like that? So it's all in the questions that I ask that help me understand who they are as leaders and the goals they truly want to accomplish with our relationship. You're mostly talking to people in the C-suite, right? I'm mostly talking to people in the C-suite when I'm assessing those types of situations, yes. At what point, I mean, do you end up talking to like the bottom man? Like, Yeah, I do when sometimes, you know, they'll say to me, business results are really bad. You know, we don't know where it's coming from because nobody's saying anything. And, you know, there's like a disconnection, but nobody knows where that disconnection is. Then I do go and I talk to either the hourly population or the frontline workers. But you know what I've seen more commonly now? Hmm. The issue is that middle management level. It's a C-suite just being so absent-minded to what that middle management is going through to where they're not feeling supported. They're not getting training. They're not getting anything. They're just getting yelled at, you know, essentially. And that aggression and anger kind of trickles down to the hourly population. So what I've learned is if they take the time to take care of the supervisor and teach the supervisor how to take care of their teams, a lot of these issues will be resolved. Yes. I feel like nobody really knows how to manage. Like you right. get a management role, all of a sudden, you know, you've got eight people under you and it, it keeps going up from there. And no one actually gave you a crash course no. besides like progress reports twice a year, you know, or whatever. And that's it. <laughs> and that's the problem. It's like, you know what? You did your job so well. You performed so well. So we're going to promote you now so that you can lead other people who do what you did. That doesn't mean that they can lead. They're just a good worker. Mm -hmm. And there's no in-between to help them get become acclimated to now instead of doing, how do you inspire others to get it done? Right. And it's like no shade, right? You can be a great dancer, an accomplished ballet dancer, but it doesn't mean you can teach ballet, right? Being a go. teacher is very different. And it seems like that is part of the role of being a manager. That is the role. And it's like now people are, you know, taking these promotions, looking at the money mm -hmm. and they're not looking at the responsibility or the skill set requirement or the competencies that you need to be successful in the role. And because we reward in corporate America, we reward results tied to profit, not results tied to people. Mm -hmm. If they would flip it and reward results tied to people, the profits would just come by default and we wouldn't be dealing with so many toxic leaders. But because they're trying to make that bonus and it's only based on how much increase they have in, in, in this outcome, they're going to do whatever they need to do to get that outcome because they want that bonus to get that increase. That might mean talking to you sideways. That might mean making you mandating overtime. That might mean, you know, ignoring your request off or not granting your request off because they're trying to meet a goal that's tied to a financial incentive. Mm -hmm. If companies truly care, then they will financially incentivize how well you treat people. What's your turnover rate? How diverse is your team? Ooh. How many complaints have been called in against you? If all of those metrics and factors weighed into their ability to make that bonus, I guarantee you, you'd see a change in how people are treated in the workplace. Yeah, it's amazing to me. It's like, how are you getting promotions and you 
you've had to have you and your team members mediated right. like, multiple times in the same year. Like, right. I don't understand how that's okay, but you are still in your role and being paid more. That's something I've seen so many times. And I'm just kind of on the sidelines baffled. Really? And what message does that send to people with what you value? You don't value me if you're promoting the person I just complained about last week who you told me you were going to coach. Right. So you get into these environments and like you said, people push back. So you're getting that pushback. What do you do then? Are you trying to convince them to take the medicine and they will heal? Or do you step back? And have you ever left a situation because you're like, you're not ready? I absolutely have quit job because they were not ready. But the way that I've learned, and this is what I teach employees as well. The best way to get your point across to be influential is you need the data points. Right. It can't just be my opinion. It can't just be what my gut tells me, but I have to look at the data points. So if I'm saying that a leader is toxic and I go to them and I say, you know, you really need to do something about this leader because of X, Y, and Z. I can't just say, because so many people keep complaining about this leader and I see you're not doing anything, but I can say over the past month, we've had five different people come in and complain about this leader. And of those five, three of them quit. And do you know how much it costs you to recruit three more people to replace them and the workload? You know, like you got to tell that story of the impact of tolerating the poor behavior. Sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. But I teach employees to do this because they have a stronger voice than I do. They can make a claim especially if there's a legal basis for it. So for example, the employee feels like they're not paid fairly with their peers, right? And they've asked for a raise and it's been denied, but they steady see other people getting raises or promoting and they're not just giving a fair shot. They can't just go and say, you know what? I've applied for you know seven roles and I'm just not getting picked and I just don't think it's fair. But if they go and they say, I've applied for this role you know, or different roles seven different times and I've looked at everybody who's filled that role and they're all a white male and I'm a black female and it's giving me an impression that you're not looking to develop or promote diverse talent in the organization. How is it that I have X amount of years of experience and I was talking to Billy the other day and this is his first time working. Like, you know, you got to go with your receipts. You become a force that, you know, want to do the right thing for because now you're creating a risk for them, you know, and now it's even more riskier to terminate you because you brought up a racial claim, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to do the right thing and give you what you're asking for. But at that point, it's up to you and the balls in your court whether or not you want to take it. Right. Because there is a lot to go along with taking it. Tell us about a success story you've had, like a time you're like really proud of the work that you've done and the work that that company's done. You know, I think a success story I've had is when I look to leave an organization or I, when I was working for corporate America and I would tell them, you know, I'm leaving because of resistance or what have you. And then they come back and they offer me like a retention bonus or try to pay me to stay. And I don't stay. I still end up leaving, but it's always rewarding for me when they try to get me to stay because it, it helps me understand that I've become what I consider to be indispensable, Mm. you know, that they know they can't do this without me. And now they want to pay me to stay because they see that I I actually know what I'm doing and that I am driving change, you know, and things like that. So that's always rewarding for me when I have the ball in my court, when I don't need the job more than they need me. You know, I tie that with success stories because it just means that I'm effective in my role. And most of the time I'm advocating for the frontline workers, the hourly population. And even though they don't listen to me sometimes, it still lets me know that what I'm doing is a value. And so those are always things that make me feel successful. But for a specific example to your question, I would say recently I was working with a client that actually followed through and firing a longtime leader, Mm. a longtime leader. And nobody thought they would do it. And they were like, well, you know, this leader has been here for so long and, and we don't move like that at this company. You know, they move very slow. And within six weeks, they were gone. 
And so that's a proud moment that I had because it let me know as a consultant, my recommendation holds weight Mm -hmm. and that the company is willing to do what they need to do to truly take care of the team. And it's like, once you fire the long-term leader, you can do anything almost. Like that's the big scary, it seems. It's like, am I going to go against Bob? Right. Did it. Now you've gone against Bob, and now you can do anything. <laughs> right. And look, and then not to talk about the ripple effect. Now, oh man, they done got rid of Bob. Let me get my act together because mm-hmm. that means they definitely will get, you know what I mean? So, yeah, straighten up, Tim. <laughs> straighten up. Right. <laughs> You're on your way out. <laughs> right. So, those are always success moments when, when the underdog wins, which is what I consider to be the, you know, the person without the power of the employee. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. So let's say we're starting a new job. We're going into an environment, especially when we've had trauma in other environments. So hyper aware of our surroundings. What are we looking for to figure out if we are in a positive work environment? What are some good traits? So you've already accepted the job and you're in there, you know, so what does the marketing material look like around you? Like, are all the posters outdated? Are all the posters white people? Is there diverse representation? And then you want to look at what are your first three days of work? Like on your first day of work, is somebody meeting you? Are you matched up with somebody? Are they giving you a tour? Are they walking you to your desk? Or are you kind of like figuring this out and navigating this through yourself? How much support do you have from your leadership or from your peers when you first start that environment? So I would say, look at that. And then do you have an onboarding plan? Have they given you a plan for the first 30 days? Or are they like, hey, day one is your orientation with HR. Day two, you're just sitting at your desk figuring out what are you supposed to be doing? You know, how much do they care about the level of your success is what you're trying to ascertain by looking at what your onboarding experience is like. How much do they care about people who look like you is what you're looking to ascertain when you're looking at the marketing materials and the website and their promises and their values and their mission. Do you feel a reflection of you in these things? And then the third thing I would say is what is the culture like? Are people coming to you gossiping? Are people coming to you making you feel welcomed? Or do people not even know who you are? Was there an announcement made about you? Do you have your equipment, your computer first day? Like all of that will tell you, are they celebrating the fact that you're here? If you look at these three things and you're like, okay, it's day two. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just sitting here. I don't even know how to log into my computer. You know, then are they really valuing you or... Are you just, uh, you know, somebody to fill a seat? I know a lot of people who don't have a computer the first few days. Nothing set up. They're just at their desk, like organizing their sticky notes and putting up pictures of their grandma. Like that's what they're spending time doing. What, Like how badly do you want to run at that point? You're like, damn, I have quit my other job. I have denied other. (laughs) I know. And that's why I always say, Ask these questions in the interview. What should I expect my first 30 days in the role? Mm-hmm. What should I expect my first week in the role? And will I be partnered with someone? You like, you know what I mean? Like ask these questions because if they're like, um, yeah, you have a plan. Like, you know, and, they, and, and they're hemming and hawing or they can't give you a succinct answer. That could be a red flag right there. Do you feel like it's ridiculous to ask for things written down? I just know we talk a lot about receipts and... If I'm asked, what am I going to be doing the first 30 days, but also what are your expectations of my growth and progress within the first 30, 60, 90? Is that crazy to be like, can you write this all down and email it to me? No, I think the way you would say it is, I think that sounds great. You know, it will be helpful for me because of my learning style. If you're able to memorialize this plan for me in writing, that Mm. way I can make sure that I'm aligning my output with your expectations. Oh, I love a memorialize. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay. I'll how you word it. Because who's going to say, no, I don't want you to be successful. Like... I want to be successful. So I want to make sure that I'm grasping 
you know, meeting your expectations, do you mind memorializing this for me in a document? Yeah, I have been talking to a lot of people this season, last season, I mean, all the seasons, quite frankly, about professionalism. And that means different things for different people. But we know we live in a white focused world where professionalism is based on what white folks see as professionalism. And a lot of times folks feel like it's soul sucking, they can't be themselves. At the same time, companies are asking for a level of authenticity. It seems Mm -hmm. like it is a tight line to walk. Like what suggestions do you have for people? People who want to be seen as professional, but also want to bring bits of themselves to work. Right. Well, listen, you asked the right person. I know people, you know, that might be listening may not know who I am or see me, but like my hair is bright pink. And, um, you know, everybody would say, oh, that's not professional or, you know, that's not, you know, this and this and that. And, you know, one time I was working for a company and I had like braids, extension in my hair, extensions in my hair, but because my hair is pink, I had pink extensions. Otherwise you would see the pink through the, through the braids. Right. So it was like an ombre. It was real, real cute. Got so many compliments. Right. So I was going on a tour with the VP of HR of this particular org unit. You know, I'm on my stuff because I know my stuff. And, you know, she was just giving me such the hardest time. She was asking me impossible questions that I would be like, you know, I think it's this, but I'll get back to you just for no reason. Right. And so when I got back to, you know, my place and I talked to my leader, you know, my leader was like, yeah, I got some interesting feedback about you. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, yeah, you know, the leader that you were engaging with couldn't really pinpoint what the problem was, but just said that you lack executive presence. And I was like, I lack executive presence. And I was like, well, what what does that mean? And what how is that defined? And so my leader really couldn't say. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess she's leaving this up to assumptions for me, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Carolyn Wenga, you know, who's the CEO of Essence has this quote that is my philosophy in life. And she says, who you are is who you are. If you can't be who you are, where you are, you change where you are, not who you are. Okay. I always say, show up as your authentic self. If they cannot receive who you are, you don't need to change who you are. You need to change where you are. And so needless to say, I left that company. But that's why it's so important to acknowledge, embrace, own, and recognize the value that you contribute to the organization. Who are you? What is unique about you? And what is the asset that you are to that organization? Because once you identify that, you embrace that greatness and you hold on to it and harness it. When you give it, no one else can give it like you. And when you give it, you're solving problems. So then it's hard for them to let you go. And then the power is in your hand to leave for them finding other reasons not to accept you, not tied to your performance, because that's what generally will happen. So the way you show up authentically is just being a badass in who you are. You're saying, I know my job and I know no one else can do it as good as I do. So I'm going to show up with my fro. I'm going to show up with my pink hair. I'm going to show up with my tattoos. You can't get rid of me because you need me. And Mm -hmm. once you get to that point of, you know, making yourself an indispensable asset, then you hold the cards in your court and then you can be your authentic self or choose to be somewhere else if they seemingly won't, you know, accept you. And so now I walk around and I say, I am executive presence. And I even made sure to say I am executive presence just because they tried to tell me that I wasn't. So now I'm making money off of their ignorance. And that's how you do that. <laughs> oh, I love that. It feels so crazy to really feel like two different people and mm-hmm. your coworkers, like maybe seeing a picture of you or I don't know, finding out you did something in your personal life and being like, oh my God, what a shocker. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know me. And if you actually right. knew me, you would know that there's nothing shocking about me doing X, Y, Z. It's like just turning into somebody else for eight, nine hours a day is crazy. Some people feel like they have to, you know, that's the only way they can survive. Mm -hmm. And, and sadly enough, as black women, that's the truth. I would say, but once, 
they get to know you. And even if you're enforcing that knowledge on them, and it's not necessarily saying what you did on the weekend, but I, I, you know what I mean? I love bright and bold colors. So that's what I'm going to wear because that's who I am. And I just love the fact that this company embraces diversity because it allows me the ability to do that without judgment. If people listening, they want to make changes in the workplaces, but they are afraid of retribution. They want to be safe while they are pushing for these changes. What advice do you have for them to still be the pusher and, and help make those things happen, but also not get themselves caught up where they get a call from HR? Yeah, I would say ask yourself three questions. Number one, you know, how sincerely is this held belief that you have that you feel that strongly about? Like, is it morally conflicting for you? Like, the issue that you want to speak up about, how conflicting is it morally to you? Really weigh, is it just that you feel like this is a nice for them to know or is this a need for them to know, right? And then secondly, you want to know, ask yourself, if you don't say anything, what's the impact? And if you do say something, what's the impact? So if you don't say something, are other people going to suffer in silence? Are you speaking for you or or is this something that's affecting everybody? You want to weigh the impact of this thing that you want to or you're contemplating speaking up about, right? You, you know, you look at the impact and the audience of who it's impacting. Then you ask yourself, would you want somebody to do it for you? We forget sometimes that there are, it's people who pave the way for us. It's people who were bold and courageous, who spoke out, who paved the way for us. So- it's also your duty in the right situations, at the right time, in the right moments to pave the way for others. And so you ask yourself, is this something that you're paving the way for others? Is this something that's going to be impactful and drive you know, positive change, not just for you or others? Or is this a selfishly motivated situation that only affects you and you're just mad or emotional because they didn't request your time off or grant your time off request, right? Like what's the impact of that situation? Or there's one more. Are there allies? Like are there other people who will stand with you in this or will you be on your own? And the reason I don't group that last question in it, because that, that isn't a deal breaker of whether or not you say something, but it just helps you know how to go into it with the mindset of I'm standing here alone or with the mindset of I have other people who can back me with support stories as well. So look at the impact, look at what, you know, the issue, is it morally conflicting for you or is it violating the law? Like what, what is the, what is the issue? And then weigh all of that to determine if you're going to use your voice to speak up, to drive change, because if you don't, nothing will ever change. You could essentially be the answer to save it, save, you know, time and pave ways for the next generation behind you. I always call it the being the Harriet Tubman of your workplace. <laughs> right? Pretty much. Because if she didn't, we might still be enslaved. Shoot. Right. And, and you know, there's the wider idea of what getting free looks like for many different groups of people based on their struggles, right? And we're all trying to get free in some way. So add to that, don't act on emotion. Go, go through it in a mm-hmm. time when you're calm, when you can be strategic, when you have your receipts and you can tell a story versus, you know, ranting and throwing a temper tantrum because then they won't listen to you. So if you if this is something you're going to speak out about, talk to your mentor, which everybody should have a mentor, a sponsor and a coach. That's a different conversation, but get some advice, role play with them so that you can go in professionally and succinct and with a strategy and a plan versus outraged, emotional and angry. Um, thank you so much. This is amazing advice. I hope everyone is like taking notes. This is definitely a note taking episode. Um, before we go, I want to play a little game with you. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say like some phrases and I just want to get your first impression of what I'm saying. All right. Staff bonuses. <laughs> Bias. Georgia politics. Oh, racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the HBCU experience. Unforgettable. Fully in office jobs. Antiquated and outdated. 
Sharing personal information at work. Risky. Multi-page resumes. (laughs) Atrocity. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, productivity trackers on work computers. Deal breakers. Oh, hot takes. Love it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I appreciate what you're doing on this platform so that you can amplify the stories that people are encountering at work. So appreciate it. You're so necessary for this time, this generation, and where we are. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep amplifying our stories and our voices your ways. So needed and appreciated for you. This has been such an insightful interview, and it's probably made you think, what the hell is going on in my HR department? And did I miss any red flags when I started my current job? Hmm. Well, to learn more about the HR Plug, head to thehrplug.com or you can check out the podcast on YouTube. Take care, y'all. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season i love the change of seasons but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather kleenex ultra soft tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin for this allergy season grab kleenex and face allergies head on 